Thank you, Paul. Good morning, church. I'm reading from Mark 1 today from the New International Version. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Um, so, as Paul mentioned, I'm Kathy, and as Helen mentioned briefly earlier, I'm actually training for ordination. So, as well as being Reuben's mum, I'm yeah training to be a vicar, for want of a better word. Um, but I'm actually on maternity leave right now, so that's quite a nice. Well, it's not really a rest, but yeah. <laughs> Um, a special welcome to you if it's your first time here today, um, especially those who've come to support Isla, Ava, and of course, Reuben. Before I start, I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak through me today? Make me clear, help me to be concise and to speak your truth Prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive towards you. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So, hands up if you went to the weekend away with the church. Quite a few of you. Okay, so for those um, who weren't there, we went there as a whole church family, or mostly everyone anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, it was in Devon. And on our way there, the weather was awful. We, Aidan and Reuben and I, we all got uh, stuck. We had to stop about four times. A three-hour journey turned into a seven-hour one. Uh, it was pretty horrendous, and I thought, seriously, there is something out to get us here. And then I remembered, there is. I'll tell you why. It's because I was born in Cornwall. Somehow, the county of Devon sensed that I was there, and it wanted me out. 
But the actual weekend itself was really lovely. There were uh, times of fellowship together. We ate together. Um, I didn't get to make all of the meals because I was feeding someone else. <laughs> um, but there was also a really nice evening of entertainment. And in that evening, there were lots of talented people, including my husband, Aidan, who sang, <laughs> yes, woo, who sang a song from Les Miserables, or Les Miserables, as my dad would say. <laughs> and he sang the song Stars, and it was lovely. But the best thing about it was the fact that I learned that Paul loves Les Mis, and I mean loves. How many times have you seen it? About seven, He's, he, seven times. So there we go, you learn something new every day. Surprisingly, this links really well with what I'm gonna talk about today. <laughs> so here at Christchurch, we've been following a series about what it means to be church. And this week's theme is about grace. There's absolutely no point in having a baptism without talking about grace. And to demonstrate that, we're going to be watching a clip from, you guessed it, Les Mis. <laughs> For some context, Hugh Jackman's character, Jean Valjean, is an ex-convict who may as well still be in prison because the parole system is awful. He can't get a job, he can't get somewhere to live, he's hungry, he's desperate. And he's a bit wild from living out homeless for so long. And he knocks on the door of a priest. Now, don't worry if you can't see the clip very well or if you're listening to this online. Just listen to the words. That's the important part. So if we show the clip now. Come and serve when you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. say you gave him, miss. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also 
Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, Elisa, this man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for I love Les Mis, and I especially love that part. I remember the first time I saw that movie in the cinema, and I just cried my eyes out, because it so powerfully shows the difference between kindness, mercy, and grace. Kindness is looking out for people, doing something nice, perhaps when they're in need. Mercy is forgiving someone when they've done wrong, but grace goes the extra mile. It does all those things and also grants extra goodness to someone who in no way deserves it. Now the priest, he fills all of those criteria. He gives Jean Valjean food and shelter, kindness. He saves him from the police and jail. He pardons him. As well as letting him keep what he stole, he gives him the best silver that's grace. He doesn't deserve it, but he gives him all of that. The final bit of the clip sets up the rest of the story as the bishop there invites Jean Valjean to accept that grace and change his life. Because grace, in its truest form, is transformational. When people receive grace, it can and does change lives. But why does that matter this morning? Why are we talking about grace at this christening? Because grace is the central idea in Christianity, in what it means to be a Christian, and grace is at the center of baptism. Different denominations, and even within the same denominations, have different opinions about when's the best time to baptize. Some would say as an adult, and others as a baby, others, either's fine. I grew up in and out of church, not that heavily involved, but both Aidan and I originally would have fallen on the adult side of baptism, or believer's baptism as some would call it, where you get fully dunked. To us, baby baptism, it didn't really make much sense. How can a baby make those promises? But as we saw, um, the parents and godparents, and you as a church, all made promises to help uh, Ava, Isla, and Reuben to learn that actually living in this grace is the best way to live. And we want to introduce them to Jesus as their friend so that when they're older, they can make those promises for themselves. 
Either way, for both adult and baby baptism, grace is at its core. I think for a baby baptism, it's quite profound in terms of its symbolic nature because a baby can do nothing except poop, eat, scream, sleep, eat, repeat, poop, lots of poop, (laughs) maybe play a bit. A baby definitely can't do any good deeds to earn anything. Yes, after a while, they can smile, they can laugh, do really cute things, but overall, they're pretty draining, especially at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. and 5 (laughs) a.m. But if we look at our reading from Mark 1, the one that we had earlier, at Jesus' baptism, yes, he's an adult, but he's getting baptised before he's gone on to do anything particularly special or miraculous, and still, God the Father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And this morning, as I said, we've seen these three beautiful babies get baptised, and each case is an acknowledgement that an acceptance of God's grace is the best way to be brought up. So what does Christian grace actually mean? We've had that definition of what grace is generally. But for Christians, Christians believe that God is kind, he's trustworthy, he's caring, any good adjective you can think of. He loves and wants a relationship with us. If perfection was a scale, then God would be up here. So for those who can't see, my hands are way up above my head. God is truly perfect. However, humans, we just don't live up to God's standards. We'd be very low down on that scale in comparison. So right down by my feet, lower, God higher, that kind of thing. And I'd be very surprised, actually, if there aren't a few of us here thinking, well, that's all well and good that you think God is really good, but I'm a good person as well. And I'm not saying that you aren't. But what I'm asking is, are you perfect? I know I'm not. We all have moments where we say, we do, or we think unkind or selfish things. And if you're still thinking, "Mm, nah, I don't actually, then to put God's level of kindness into perspective, in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, even our best deeds are like filthy rags. Take a moment, maybe close your eyes, and think about the best thing that you've ever accomplished, maybe the kindest or most unselfish thing that you've ever done for someone. Just take a moment to do that. Now Isaiah is saying that even that is still nowhere near comparable how good and amazing and kind and unselfish God is. You can open your eyes. I can't even physically stretch high or wide enough to illustrate this point enough. And it's not just because I'm five foot three. The only one who could live up to God's perfection is God himself. Now recently, Aidan and I have started listening to a podcast called Evil Genius. I don't know if anyone else has been listening to it. It's uh, with Russell Kane. 
And what they do is they take some really significant people from history and they ask whether they're more evil or genius. It's very black and white, there's no grey, they must at the end of the show decide is that person evil or genius? And what you quickly find out is that even the best people are seriously flawed. From Charles Dickens, who highlighted about poverty in the Victorian era, to Winston Churchill and all the things he did, and even the Christian heroine, Mother Teresa. Nobody, but nobody, is perfect. And the reason why I love that scene we watched from Les Mis is because it's such an amazing of Christian grace. Because God, being perfect and holy, well, he didn't need to associate with us. He could have said, well, you haven't lived up to my perfection, so why should I help you? Why should I want to know you? But he does. And just like the bishop or the priest in that film, not only is God kind to us, not only is God forgiving toward us, but he shows the most incredible grace, going the extra mile by sacrificing his life for us. Whether we like it or not, there are consequences to our actions, even if we don't mean for there to be. For example, our selfishness to have the latest iPhone, the latest clothes, the latest KitchenAid mixer, whatever it is, it has devastating effects on the planet. We constantly are creating more and more. Climate change is killing the planet, and our greedy lifestyles are taking advantage of the poorest people around the world who produce these things and get paid nothing for it. It's a consequence that we don't mean to happen, but sadly, it does. And the Bible says in various places that there are consequences to our imperfections and our greed, be they in thought or in deed. Because not only does it harm other people or the planet, but it damages our relationship with God too. Now, as I've already said, grace is amazing. But admittedly, after a while, if humans keep doing selfish and hurtful things, and grace, if we kept giving them grace like that priest did, and they still don't change, surely that just starts to become a bit abusive? Surely that's too much for any person to endure and it's not healthy? I agree. And that's why we need Jesus. We need his strength to transform us from the inside out, both to be able to receive grace from God and to extend it to others. We can't do it in our own strength. And the Bible, although it says there's these consequences, also says there is hope. That if someone who was perfect and was in relationship with God took on the consequences and responsibility for our actions and imperfections and our selfishness, then that would restore our relationship with God. And as I said earlier, the only one who could live up to God's perfect amazingness was God himself, or is God himself. So God sent himself as Jesus Christ to earth. Now, every human being that's ever lived is flawed, even the greatest, as I said, whether that's Martin Luther King Jr., Einstein, Greta Thunberg, your favorite celebrity, your favorite relative. Every human except Jesus. Even his accusers who arrested him and could, could find no flaw in him, so they had to lie, they had to make things up in order to give him the death sentence. Now Pontius Pilate, who knew it would be a lot easier for him to be killed because he was causing civic unrest, 
When he examined him, he still couldn't find any reason why this man should die. And yet Jesus freely went to the cross and took on that punishment, those consequences for us. He loves us so much, and I think many of us here could say that we would die for someone we love, maybe a spouse, a sibling, a parent, a friend, a child, someone we've got a relationship with, perhaps even a stranger in need. But what about someone who treats us like rubbish? Because that's what Jesus did for us. He loves us so much and wants a relationship with us despite all the times that we ignore him, let him down, and throw grace back in his face. Jesus showed us grace by dying for us in our place, taking on those horrible things, even though we don't deserve it. But that's not all. Because Jesus was so perfect and so sinless, death had no power over him, and he rose from the dead three days later. Jesus went beyond the extra mile, a whole marathon worth of extra miles in order to give us life, forgiveness, and a relationship that we don't deserve. Like in that Les clip, Jean Valjean didn't do anything to earn the mercy and the grace from the bishop. If anything, he definitely deserved the opposite. And just like Jean Valjean, as we accept the grace of God, we are invited to let that grace transform us. I, for one, am really glad it's not about how good a person I am, because I don't even live up to my own standards of what makes a good person 100% of the time. Do you live up to yours? So what do we do with all of this? We can all benefit from accepting the grace of God and letting it transform us from the inside out. How much better would the world be if we all treated each other with grace and let it change us for the better? What if we were actually able to do it continuously because God was with us, sharing his love and strength, rather than us trying to do it all on our own? Well, even the most committed Christian needs to be reminded of the wonder of grace. Perhaps it's your first time ever even hearing about grace. Perhaps you want to know more, or you feel something stirring in your mind or in your heart, some little niggling voice in the back of your head. Please don't leave this place without speaking to either myself or Paul, Joe, Aidan, or some other Christian that you know. Baptism always involves water, whether a sprinkle or a whole dunk. But in our day-to-day life, the wonder of grace and, the, and baptism, it, for want of a better phrase, gets watered down. Now, this testimony by Jess Cook gives us some practical ways to remember how loved we are and think about grace. So you might want to close your eyes as I read this poem to close. At some point in seminary, I came across the idea of remembering my baptism every time I interacted with water. This idea has held so strongly through the years of practice that it now comes without thought. Rain starts falling and every drop that falls on my head, every plink I hear on the gutter reminds me that I am loved even when I do not have the capacity to ask for it. Tear ducts become wellsprings within me, sometimes gushing open at the most unexpected moments. The rain on my back, each tear a reminder of the Holy Spirit within me, grounding me in who I am and connecting me to everything around me. It rains and I am loved. 
I cry and I am loved. I wash my hands and I am loved. Hard as I may try sometimes, I have realized that I cannot outrun my belovedness. None of us can. Amen. Now, um, if the band would like to come up, as a practical response to everything that we've heard, we're going to have three stations here at the front, each with a bowl of water. And at each station will be someone there to uh, use the water to make a sign of the cross on your head as a symbol um, of reminding yourself what your baptism was about and renewing it. Perhaps you've never been baptised, but you'd like to know some more. Come up anyway. Just show your hands there up in front of you, and we would love to pray with you. If you're at home listening to this, then perhaps you'd like to go and pour some water for yourself and make the sign of the cross on your own head as a reminder of the wonder of your grace, uh, of the grace you've received, or to reaffirm your baptism. There's no pressure to get up immediately. If you're the kind of person who likes to contemplate things first, that's fine. The band are going to be playing Amazing Grace, a very familiar song to probably most of us here. Let those words just wash over you and sink in. As the band gets ready, I'll just pray to close. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness, your mercy, your grace. Thank you that you died for us and that you were so perfect that even death couldn't hold you. Be with us now in the form of your spirit and teach us to be aware of your presence. Amen.